0: Well, thank you for sitting yourselves down to get ready for the time to get. We are transitioning back into more of the particular schemes of the devil. So we are going to start a little broad and work our way down to very specific areas of focus. In the most recent treatise on grace, there was a statement that I didn't make that I want to make now about the schemes of the devil. So just so we clear, the schemes of the devil are particular ways that the enemy tries to coerce us to give in to sin. And as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, we are not ignorant of his schemes. And in many ways, we can agree with this statement, right? We're not ignorant. Like, we know the devil exists. We know to some degree what his role is. We know that he is seeking someone to devour. Scripture, 1 Peter 8, says this. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So this is his responsibility. When it says seeking someone to devour, the scripture also says that those who are not believers in Jesus Christ are already under the devil's authority. So the people that he is seeking to devour are not people who do not believe in Jesus. He's seeking to devour people in this room who would profess to believe in Jesus. And so Peter is warning, be sober-minded. Be watchful.
1: Because he's an adversary. He's real. And he's not playing. We know this, church.
0: But where I find that, so we're not ignorant of that. Where I find we are ignorant is actually how we assist the devil and his schemes against
1: us, tempting ourselves to fall into sin. There are two
0: ways, or two of the greatest ways, that we assist the devil and his schemes against us. One we've been talking about it's having a view of grace that provides no consequences, confrontation, or correction for sin from each other or from God. So we talked about this the last few weeks. You know, there's grace for that. I don't have to do this. There's grace for that. And you're right, you don't. But don't put it on grace. Don't put it on grace. could be laziness, selfishness, fear of man. So we talked about that way. That's one of the greatest ways. We just have a low view of the grace of God, and we're working on that as a church, realizing what the grace of God actually is and how it should be what empowers us to do things, not release us from doing them. The second greatest way is what we're going to talk about today. In this passage in Romans 13. Three verses will be our primary focus today. Beginning in verse 11, and I quote. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk in a manner. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The second greatest way that we assist Satan in the schemes of the devil against us is we make provision for the flesh. We make provision for the flesh. So today we'll begin a series of messages that are specifically strategic so that we are no longer making provision for the flesh, but instead making provision against it. The strategy will be a template for every issue of the schemes of the devil that we bring up in the coming weeks. Now, we are not forgetting to connect our obedience to a fruit of the Spirit or a beatitude, but we want to build on that, adding layers of context and discernment to help us accomplish it. Last week, we learned about the three acts of Scripture. Act 1, Old Testament, God the Father, he established the nation of Israel. In Act 2, the Gospels, God the Son established the disciples. In Act 3, Acts through Jude, God the Spirit established the church. Each act accomplishes, establishes some segment of society that's usually small in comparison to the rest of the world. And God uses that small portion of people to overthrow and oppose the cosmic powers of darkness that have sinned against the Lord. If for no other reason to show those beings who are stronger and smarter than us that even supernaturally speaking, God shames the weak and the strong, (laughs) shames the strong and the wise with the weak. We are weak in comparison to them. But in Christ, they're no match for the believer. Since there is no fourth person of the Trinity, at least in this church there is. I didn't say there was an Act 4 because the Act is largely connected to one of the persons of the Godhead. But on some level, we are Act 4. We are made in the image of God and we are the first people in human history that have the Spirit residing in us indefinitely. The first people in human history. In the Old Testament, you would hear stuff like the spirit rushed upon Samson. It was dead for a minute it was gone. The spirit rushed upon David. When Saul stands in with the prophets, the spirit rushes on him and he prophesies like that. But in this situation, the spirit comes with people and stays. Unless, of course, we quench the spirit or seek to remove him. Now, the process in each act was this, a person of emphasis, a major theme, a goal, a method, and a motive. That's how it works in each act. God God was an emphasis in the Old Testament, Jesus in the Gospels, the Spirit in Acts through Jew, and continuing in human history. For us, the process is similar but slightly different. We are the person of emphasis. Our goal is always the same. Believe until you leave. Believe until you leave. But we have a mentality not a theme. We have a mentality, a method, and a motive that changes often. And so today we're going to look at the method, motive, and mentality through four exhortations to help us resist the scheme of the devil. First, the mentality. Romans 13, 11. Let's look at this. Besides this, you know the time That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. In the Bible, especially in the epistles, there is a lot of language that is culturally relevant. We would call it slang today. There are phrases that they use that we just don't talk like that. Or it means something different when we say it. The etymology of certain words is different in the 21st century than in the first century when these words were written. So it's essentially slang, but it's a command from the Lord. And so here's the mentality. Cultural, relevant to them, slang, but it's a command for the Lord for all of us. Here's the the mentality. Wake from sleep. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. The hour is another way of saying the time. The time has come for you to wake from sleep, or now.
1: Now, wake from sleep. But the phrase wake from sleep
0: is synonymous to what we read in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Wake from sleep. It's a wonderful statement. Because it has to do with the mental and physical condition of a believer. It's mental in that when you are asleep, you are more vulnerable in your thoughts. Right? When you're asleep or you're tired, like some of you are in church, I see you. But more importantly, he sees you. Now you can fall asleep boring, but when you stand before God, don't say your pastor was born. When you are asleep, you're just more vulnerable in your thoughts. That's why the majority of our dreams are crazy. Sometimes we can remember them and they're so vivid, they wake us up. You ever woke up and be like, Dad, I'm so glad that wasn't real. I had one of those recently. It's like, Dad, it just felt like everything was right. And I woke up. I don't know what the Lord was trying to tell me, but I'm glad it wasn't my reality. But sometimes we just, our dreams are, okay, I remember this part. And then there was a person who looked like you, but he, he really had like an elephant face. And then went, and then you came over, and then it was another. And my mom was dead, but she was like two feet tall, selling peanuts. You know, there's all this stuff, right? You know, in the dream, you just be like, man, how is this? So what do you think it means? Stop eating peanuts, fam, you know? There was a peanuts, an elephant, don't, you know. The elephant in the room, you got to confess something, bro.
2: Uh-huh.
0: I'll be here till Thursday. <laughs> our dreams are wild. We can't control them because we're subject to our subconscious mind. They say things that you're worried about or things that you fear, those things come out in your dreams. Every once in a while, you can, you can realize. I, mean, I remember one time, this was after watching like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I was a kid. I used to love them. I thought Freddy was like the best killer because he'd come in your dreams. What you going to do? But if you were aware of it, you could become whatever in your dream. So I had this dream, and, and I kid you not, it was really Freddie in the dream. We were standing in the street, and his arms spread out like real long, like Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1. And I remember thinking, I said this to him, this is a dream. I said to myself, this is a dream. And I said, I'm from D.C. <laughs> so I ran up to him. And as soon as I got close, I jumped over him and looked down and was like, ah, punched him and ran up the sky. (laughs) And I woke up to a nice sunny day with brisk wind and all of it. We are subject to our unconscious, subconscious mind. But when we're asleep, our thoughts are taking us captive. We're not taking our thoughts captive. So when he says, wake from sleep, He's telling you, spiritually speaking, don't let your thoughts take you captive. Take them captive. This is what happens. Mentally, we are weak when we're asleep. But as well physically, when you are asleep, you cannot defend yourself. There is a reason why most people will break into a home late at night. You would be hard-pressed to see somebody come up in your house while you're having a dinner party at 7.30. That means they either know y'all ain't got no weapons in there, or they really gangsters, or they dumb. They're going to come get you when you're asleep because you're weak. You can't defend yourself. You don't even know what's happening. Unless you hear a sound and you wake up. You're weak. So when he says wake from sleep, He's saying to you, church, to me, you got to be alert and know what's going on and be ready to fight because if you're asleep, and I'm not going to lie, there are people in this room that are asleep spiritually. When you are asleep, you're weak, and your thoughts take you captive. You don't take them captive. This is what he's saying. Wake from sleep. This, This is not just a biblical idiom. It's a true condition for many believers. Just like scripture says we can be alive but dead in our trespasses, spiritually speaking, we can be awake physically but asleep spiritually. How so? Let's stay with this analogy, right? Let's stay with this analogy of waking from sleep. Many of us have a mechanism to wake us up from sleeping, right? It's called an alarm clock, right? Now, depending on how hard you sleep, that alarm clock is either going to come in smooth, and get loud, and you're like, oh, okay, good. Or oh, it's going to be like, yeah, 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 and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Depending on how you sleep, that alarm clock is going to come in. And it wakes you up intentionally. Well, believe it or not, we have a spiritual alarm clock. In the faith, the alarm clock is our conviction to honor the Lord. It wakes us up when we're asleep in our obedience. Hey, 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 don't do that. Be careful. Pray. Get help. It wakes us up. But as you and I know physically, the effectiveness of any alarm clock is the volume. It's the volume. You can have the best alarm clock in the world, but if the volume is too low, you will not hear it. You won't hear it. And herein lies the problem for many of us. Our alarm clocks are too low. They're too low. There are certain areas where our alarm clocks are too low, so they're not waking us up. And we can be tempted to think the alarm clock isn't working. Conviction, obeying the Lord, it's just not working. I've seen people walk away from Jesus because it's not working. It's like, man, your alarm clock is too low. The real issue is you won't adjust the settings. You won't do what's necessary to make that thing louder in your life. So you're asleep. Or worse, you hit the snooze button. Hit the snooze button. If you're a believer, you have an alarm clock given to you by the Spirit. It's called conviction. It works. But if the volume is too low, you won't hear it. You won't hear it. And Many of us, that's the problem. We just don't hear it. We don't hear it. We don't turn it up. We don't do the things that we need to to turn it up. We don't hear it. How do you know if you have your volume too low? Well one way it's just not taking seriously the command to be sober-minded. We just sometimes we just have to be honest and say, "You know what, I'm just not that mature. I'm not that mature to do this. I'm not that mature. When I first became a Christian, I told you these stories. I, was, I came out of the streets from the hood. Got locked up, got out. was Going back, saying what's up to people. Was, became a believer. Was trying to honor the Lord. But when I went back to the Haven, oh, man, it was difficult. And one day, this was after Labor Day, 2002. Sunday night, I was sitting with my man and me. We were getting high. And I wanted to share the gospel with him, but I couldn't because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I mean, I'd done it before, but I just didn't want to be like, hey, yo, you got to trust the Lord, bro. I just didn't want to do it. I just felt like, ah, I can't do it. So I was like, man, I got, I'm, I'm going to come back and then share the gospel with him because I loved him. He was a young, he was a young gangster. bad robbery. No mask, no gloves, gun out. He was known. That was on Sunday. I went home Monday morning. Monday evening, my man Big B hit me and said, that Amir got shot nine times in the face and was gone. And that was the moment I was like, you know what? I'm done. I can't do this. I need to be strong. I missed a chance to share the gospel with this dude. And he's gone. And I'm sorry. I don't think he made it. I knew his life. I didn't even go to his funeral.
1: Because so I was sitting him on the couch. I said, I'm not
0: strong enough to be around these dudes. I took a year and a half off before they saw me. again. I ain't going to run them for a year and a half. My conviction needed to be louder. It was too low. I thought it was strong. At home, when I'm around all believers, nobody's getting high. Man, shit, I don't want to get high. When I go back to the hood and it's like, hey, everything is there. You going to hit this? Nah, I'm, go ahead, man, hit this joint. All right, just one or two times. And that's the rest of the night. I wasn't strong enough. My conviction was too low. I was hitting the snooze button. As soon as I went out there, I took a year and a half off before I even saw them again. When I came back around, I was like, man, what's up with you, Tree? Where you been at? I said, man, I just need to do some things, man. Now when they said you want to hit this, I was like, nah, there was no way. I could be around them. But when my snooze button was getting hit, my conviction was too low, I couldn't do it. I had to make a decision to leave dudes that I love for a savior that I love more. There are people in this room, you keep hitting the snooze button, and you, want, you keep looking for new conviction. Well, how do I apply this? You know how to apply it. You know how to apply sin already. You know how to fight sin already. Because you, you resist sometimes. But there are areas where we all are just like, man, I, I'm going to turn it out just want a little bit lower. Wake from sleep is the mentality. It's The mentality. Are you practicing waking from sleep? Or are you using grace to allow you to hit the snooze button because it can be okay? This is an issue. I can handle it. Or I'm going to change one day. We've all been there. I've been there. I've been there. We've all been there. We get some motive in this passage. There's motive here. The second half of verse 11, there's motive. He says this in Romans 13, 11. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Here's the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the motive. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Now think about when this was written, two, a two, little under 2,000 years ago. He said, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. That was 2,000 years ago. How nearer do you think it is now? What he means is the completion of what we call being saved is near because the day of Jesus returning is closer than it's ever been. It's closer than the day you got saved unless you got saved today. And thank you. If you did, praise God, we want to hear about you. I got some gift cards or something to give. you. It's closer. I got saved a while ago, late 90s. A lot closer now. Either my death and seeing him is closer or his return is. The day of the Lord is closer. Salvation is near and salvation is the completion of my faith. When the Lord comes back there is no more repentance, no more faith. It's all sight. The people who have faith go with him. The people who didn't do not. Or when you pass away, when you die, when you transition there's no more faith. There's no more chance to get it right. It's this is it. Your life will be your death's reference. So the completion of what we call says, this, this is the motive. Here's your motive. For salvation is near and now that when we first believe it's closer. Everyone in this room is closer to standing before the Lord than they were yesterday. On the day you got saved, you're closer. Are you waking from your sleep or are you still thinking that you got time
1: I know a lot of people that thought they had time. They ain't make it. Remember the future. And the future is now. So how do we adjust the volume on our
0: alarm clocks? Let's move to method. Here's one method, what it says here. Verse 12 of Romans 13. It says this. Here's the method. There's three methods here we're going to look at. Because he says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So this dichotomy of darkness and light is essentially meaning evil versus good. Luke so says, you know, the night is far gone. That means the, the night, and not in terms of its reality, but in terms of its reality over you and I. We're no, I'm no longer the dude that was from the street, even though some of those characteristics are still very much a part of me. Y'all know the spirit moved in. Adam didn't move out. But that gangster is locked in the basement. He only comes out every once in a while when I'm asleep, spiritually. Don't make me mad. No, says we all have that in us, right? But the night is far gone in terms of its authority over us, if you're a, if you're a believer. It doesn't have authority over us anymore. And he says the day is at hand. This is another cultural phrase that means near or here. The day is near or the day is here. There are 19 uses of this phrase in the New Testament. 19 uses. Let's look at a few of them just to prove the point. Matthew 4:17. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." All right? So the kingdom of heaven is here it's near. Matthew 26:18. He said, "Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. I'm telling them, go in. You're going to run into a dude and tell him, the teacher says, my time is near. Let's do the Passover because we need to fulfill scripture. Mark 14:42. He tells the disciples after praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. My betrayer is here. Judas is here. But when I told y'all, when he dips his finger y'all kept looking at each other like, well, who is it after he dipped his finger What's wrong with y'all? <laughs> he said, my is here. Judas is here. Let's go. Romans 7, 21. So I find it to be that, be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. When I want to do right, evil's here. It's near. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Listen to that. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So God is saying, if you're not self-controlled and sober-minded, not only will you probably not pray, but I may not hear your prayers. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And then we're back at Romans 13:12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The day. So then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We are children of light, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, people that believe in and live for Jesus, presumably. But at hand is not the method part. Here's the method part. This is interesting. Let us cast off the works of darkness. And put on the armor of light. So he says, let us cast off the works of darkness, not cast out. Let us cast off, not cast out. I looked at every reference to cast out and cast off. I wanted to see is there a difference? And there most
1: certainly is. Cast off means to reject, cast out
0: means to remove. Every reference to cast out, almost 95% of the references were demons. Cast out demons. Remove them. Every reference to cast off says nothing about demons. It's all about personal character. It means to reject. Here's what's interesting. I think a lot of people are trying to cast out what God says cast off. I see this happen all over the place. People want to be delivered from the work of rejecting sin so when they fall it becomes a demon that needs to be removed rather than a desire to be rejected. I see this happen a lot. Be given demons all kinds of names. I watch sermons and preachers be like and that demon of still in staples from your job and it's like <laughs> the spirit is still in staples. Pastors be, be, on, be wilding being in this pool, pit will say anything. And that demon is sipping somebody else's cup when you ain't asked them for permission. It's like, what? You teens, that demon of not cleaning your room. When it- I mean, I know there's unclean spirits, but I don't think it meant kids who don't clean their rooms. Right? You give demons all these names, and we create all these things, and all this, and then people start thinking, I need to have this cast out. But in reality, if that's true, then you're the demon that needs to be cast out. You are your own demon.
1: I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But from my vantage point,
0: all the study I've done of demonic possession in the Bible, none of them were for character issues. None of them. You had a lady that was bent over. It was all physical stuff. You had a boy that was thrown down, foaming at the mouth. You had a man that was super strong terrorizing people. I mean, we know Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. Apparently she was a prostitute, so maybe that led her to. But you don't see demons controlling people's care. They control their, their whole psyche, but not like, oh, you have a demon of anger that you need to get cast out. People are trying to cast out what God says cast off. And you can't cast off anger, lust, gossip, slander, because it's part of the cross that we carry. That's what you fight throughout life. So you make decisions to honor the Lord, even though they're tough. The gospel, Jesus' proclamation of the gospel was threefold. If anyone would come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. The denying self part is a lost art in today's Christianity. Everything's a mental health, a demon, or something else. And sometimes, fam, you just bitter because you bitter. You angry because you angry. You having sex because you like it. You doing this because you want to do it. It's not because there's no demon. It's You have a desire that you do not want to reject. So you go to these deliverance ministries. And don't get me wrong, there's a place for that to some degree. But a lot of that is, then people will be right back. Be right back. Why? Because you need to reject. You can't remove the desire because it's a part of the sin nature. It's how we take up our crosses by denying ourselves. If you you cast out every temptation, then there's no denying yourself. What are you denying yourself from if you cast out? You don't cast out you cast out demons and if you have demons, let's talk. But for most of us, for the majority of Christians in modern day, it's, it's not a demon that's not making you self-righteous. It's your perspective of you and others that are making you that way. To be clear, the majority of believers are not sinning because we have a demon that needs to be removed, cast out. It's because we have desires that are hard to reject, and we need to be honest about that. Be honest about that. Just admit to God that in some areas, we just don't want to give up the sin. I benefit from this. It comforts me. It's been with me for a long time. And that's just the reality. We need to cast off much more than cast out. So what stops us from casting off, from rejecting desires? What stops us? Many things, but I'm going to say two. Here's what stops us. Well, just one thing. Appearance over appraisal. When I'm, talk, I'm talking specifically to my church right now. I'm not talking about the church. I know I have, I have connections with the broader Christian church, and sometimes I think of, I'm talking about my church right now. I'm talking to Solid Rock. Appearance over appraisal. This is what happens among us. Here's what appearance means by the dictionary definition. The state, condition, manner, or style in which a person or object appears, outward look or aspect. So here's what happens. There is an outward appearance of maturity. We want to appear golly, and it's easy to do on Sunday. Look, you come in, hey, how you doing? Serving. You know, singing, hands up, affected by the song. Listen, Anakin sang, sang. You can start quivering at just the way she hit that run might not be because the Lord is doing something which he was like, Dad, da Look, lean on that violin. That violin is known to provoke emotions. I'm not saying it's not genuine. I'm just saying there's an there's a appearance of maturity that we want to have. We want to look put together. We'll overcompensate in some areas to hide the fact that we lack motivation in other areas. And this works well because many of us want to think the best of each other for two reasons. One, because it's just biblical, right? Love believes all things, hopes all things. But the other reason why is because then we don't have to do the work to bring something up to you that we notice because we're afraid to do it. So if we can think the best, then I don't have to do anything on my end. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 17:28. It says, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning and holds his tongue. So you can look mature because you don't say much and can be a fool to God. That's what the Bible says. saying. You are not mature because you're an introvert. You're not mature because you're an extrovert. You're not mature because you're quiet. Because a fool can be considered wise if he just knows when to talk and when not to talk. It's appearance over appraisal. It's a big issue in our church. It gets you in our church. You want to look like we're together. And then when stuff happens, we're like, oh, my gosh. And then you look back and be like, you know, I saw some warning signs. Why didn't you do anything when you saw them? Why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you at least pray for the person? We let it go, and then it becomes boom. And then we don't say anything to anybody we're struggling with because we're worried about how people are us. so we keep up the appearance. We're forgetting that we got to stand before the judge who's going to expose everything in front of everyone anyway. But instead it's like, you know, no, nah, I'm not going to you know, say anything. I'm just going to deal with it. And the problem is you've been hitting the snooze button too long. You can't deal with it. You can't deal with it. You've gotten to a point where you've hardened your heart. The music is too low. You cannot deal with it. You need help. I'm just going to work with the Lord. But the Lord works through his people. What you mean? You're going to go to church and then have a time with the Lord and he's going to do all that without us? That's just not how he works. He works through his people. Galatians 6, he said, bear one one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're supposed to work through that together. That's the way God set it up. It's appearance over appraisal. You know what appraisal means? Appraisal is the act of estimating or judging the nature or value of something or someone. Appraisals require examination. Everyone who's bought a home knows that. That appraisal will save you. Man, we looked at a home a couple of years ago, and I kind of liked it. It was real, it had this real big, spacious room, and I was thinking, like, man, there's stuff we can do right here. I like this. We just change this and do that. And it was like, all right. Uh, my boys thought it was all right. I said, "Now, nah, trust your dad. Look at this. And the appraisal came. And we had a good appraiser. Man, he went through that house. He looked up at us and was like, "Uh, "I wouldn't buy this house with somebody else's money." (laughs) What? (laughs) Well, the bank is—it always is someone else's money. But I get what you. But I get what you say. I mean, I get what you say. I was like, what would you mean he went by? He was like, look at, <laughs> look, look at these pipes. Look at this gunk right here. Go over here. Go." He showed us all these pictures. So we hit the people back and said, hey, uh, there's all these issues. Asking price, issues. Asking price, issues. Ask Amy. She knows what I'm talking about. Amy's a realtor. She knows what I'm talking about. She'll get your back. Asking price, issues. I was like, no, nah, we're not getting it. A- well, it's as is. But well, why do not you say that? And the thing, because we spent $500 on this appraisal, almost went in his house when he was having a dinner party with no mask and no gloves on. <laughs> I did not, but I would have a long time ago. Grace is amazing. The appraisal requires examination. And many of us are more ashamed at where we need to grow so we don't examine. We don't want others to examine. Sometimes people will come to me, and it's like, man, you're in crisis mode. I wish you would have come six months ago. Now we got to walk you off the ledge. Man, I wish you had come a, a, a couple months ago. I mean, I'm willing to help, and I'm there. I'll be there. But, man, it's, this is crisis mode now. Now I got to fight. I got to bear hug you to pull you off. I'm over here acting like Roger, giving you the hug so I'll pull you back Many of us are more ashamed than we we should be, to be honest. Let me tell you something. Shame for the Christian is different than conviction. Conviction is I feel bad, I I sinned against the Lord, but I want to honor. But shame is something else. Shame is worried about how other people think, thinking that God thinks a certain way about you. The same God that you and I believe in is the same God who told Samuel, David is a man after my own heart. Knowing David was going to commit adultery and had a man killed. The same God that you believe in is the God who chose John the Baptist to be the forerunner, be the last Old Testament prophet to bring Jesus in. And that dude was in prison and told Jesus, are you really the Messiah or not? Do you think God is ashamed of you when you fall? That's a scheme of the devil. The Lord is not ashamed of you when you fall. Remember the verse that, that, that Warren said, verse seventy-two, thirteen. if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. He's not ashamed of you, but he's not like, hey, I ain't tripping. Are you tripping? <laughs> nah, it's... Listen, you fail, let's keep it moving. Let's work, let's get up. Do what you got to do. Wake from sleep. Turn the volume up on this issue.
1: Stop blaming it on all the things that will help you keep the volume down.
0: I'm going to be honest, and I could be wrong here, but I think when we're in like group settings, we'll do a lot of meetings like this. So we'll be like, oh, let's have three people pray. that will be quiet for like 20 seconds. And I always wonder, why is that? So well, I went like to pray in front of people. That's part of it, but I bet you a lot of it is that people are just ashamed. I think there are more people that are ashamed to pray in public because you feel like a hypocrite. Because you don't pray in private or you listen in private. You're ashamed to pray. I know what that's like. There was a time I was too ashamed to pray. Not in public, even as a pastor. I was always aware of like, man, I'm just not where I need to be. I should be further along. And so I would pray for people all the time because that's easy. I didn't want to have any intimate time while I was praying to the Lord by myself because I was scared to hear what he would say. I just didn't want to do it. So I would go long periods of time, months, praying for other people. I would think out loud, but I wouldn't pray because I was just ashamed that I'm not where I should be. And here I'm a pastor and all of that. And at some point I was like, this is stupid. The Lord knows who I am and knows how He created me. He knows how I'm. He knows what I'm going to do. He's not in heaven shocked by what we do. We are, and that's good. We should be. But the Lord is not in heaven. I told y'all before. He ain't having this conversation. Like, hey, uh, Spirit, Ruach, are you, are you working at her? Did you see? Her? Did you notice know she? was? Oh, no. It doesn't happen. There's an opportunity when we fall in sin, big or little. There's an opportunity when we sin. And the shame that we feel, we need to turn into a shield. And this is what happens a lot. When you don't wake from sleep, you don't think. You don't have control over your thoughts. You turn your shame into a shield. Remember your conviction. Remember your sorrow. Remember how bad you felt when that happened, and let that be a shield that you say, nah, not again, bro. Because I believed that lie, and I know how it felt when I did that. The problem is we don't remember our sorrows. You don't remember your conviction. So you do it again and be punched in the face like it's fresh. You know how it felt when you committed this sin. You knew how bad you felt when you lost your temper and yelled at your child. You knew how bad you felt when you crossed the line and committed sexual immorality. You knew how bad you felt when you lied because you were afraid of the consequences. You knew what it felt like. Don't be ashamed of it. Learn from it. Turn it into a shield so that you think, you know what? Nah, I know what that feels like. No, I know how bad I felt when I did that. We're always running from sorrow. Stop running from conviction. It's not unbiblical to feel bad. We treat feeling bad like, no, 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 we're supposed to be, joy. we got to encourage everybody. No. No, 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 no. I want to see some of that sadness. I was counseling somebody that had committed a similar sin before, and they were talking about how they went into some depression over that and some sadness. But in this moment, they didn't seem like they were tripping. And I said to this person, hey, I'm going to be honest with you. I want to see some of that depression. Where's the sadness at? Go back to that. All of us know what it feels like to dishonor the Lord. If you're a genuine believer, you hate it. That's not the Lord saying, hey, I don't want you to feel bad. It's 2 Corinthians 7. Now, I was grieved that I wrote you this letter, but now that I see that it grieved you, because I knew it would grieve you, but now that it grieved you into repenting, I rejoice. Turn that sadness into a shield. It's not bad to feel, un- it's not unbiblical to feel sad. We want godly
1: sorrow. need to cast off. We don't cast out our our issues.
0: You can't medicate your issues. There's no medication that will make you godly. There's not one pill that will do it. It may make it a little easier, but it will not make you godly. Do not believe this whole mental health thing. I'm not saying it's not real. I live that every day. I have family members that are like, I I get it. I'm not letting nobody's identity that I know and love be connected to that. You can still obey God. You can still ask for forgiveness. Don't believe these lies of the culture. There's no diagnosis that if you didn't have it will make you godlier. It's going to take effort whether you pop a pill or not. We have to reject temptation. You can't remove it because it's the cross that we must carry. You got to put on the armor of light. This is what it means to wake up. You got to stop thinking that we're victims to all this stuff. I'm not a victim to the sins that I struggle with. I'm not a victim. I've done them long enough that they're harder to get rid of, but I'm not a victim. You are not a victim. And I will not, I love you too much to make you think you are one. Now, we can be compassionate. We can love you. I've cried with many people. I've been there. People in this room can tell you. But I'm also going to be honest and tell you the truth. You're not a victim. I'm not a victim to whatever struggles I have. I'm just not casting them off as diligently as I should. He says, put on. This is the other part that we forget, right? Put on. So he says, cast off, right? Reject this. Put on means replace this. So reject this and replace this. Many of us are are trying to reject this but not replace this. So I want to reject this, but I don't want to replace this. I can reject this because I did it, but I can't replace this because it's not how I feel. And it's harder to feel a certain way than it is to reject something I've already done. But you can't just reject evil. You have to replace it with righteousness. So I didn't just stop going to the haven. I started spending time with other believers. Getting in Bible studies, memorizing scripture, reading, praying for wisdom and discernment, meeting with guys who were pastors and asking them questions about how I could grow, talking to men who were married so I could figure out what what does it take to be. I I didn't just be like, all right, I'm just not going to go there. I'm going to sit in my house every night, every weekend and be bored. You know, when I did that, I was like, man, it would be nice to blaze one. I was like, I got to replace this. I got to replace these friends. It's like, I ain't going to stop just hanging with y'all. I need to start hanging with these folks. I need to learn how they think. Do some of the things they do. You can't just reject. You have to replace. Now, over the course of the coming weeks, Mike and I were going to discuss how to do this in more detail. But to do it initially, it begins with renewing your mind. If you do not give thought to your faith, you will not grow in your faith. It's just not how it works. God does not, sanctification by osmosis doesn't work. You have to give thought. You have to think. The Bible, God didn't say renew your mind, think like this, take your thoughts captive, because there are other ways that he wants us to do it. If taking your thoughts captive is overwhelming to you, then start praying, Lord, help me not be overwhelming. Don't depend on someone else's compassion someone else's obedience. Sometimes we want people to grow so that we don't have to be tempted to send us like, nah. There are certain situations, especially in marriages, the Lord ain't making your spouse grow quicker for you. He's not because he wants you to grow. He ain't making them grow. Y'all know I know. The Lord is not changing your spouse. All the stuff you don't like about your spouse, the Lord's like, I love it. Because that's how you're going to grow. I'm not changing none of that. You all mad, acting like, you you can't obey until they obey. The Lord was like, nah. You're going to learn long suffering. You're going to learn today. You're going to learn long suffering. You're going to learn. Because your spouse's disobedience or obedience has nothing to do with yours. You have commands from the Lord that are given to you by him. It didn't say as long as your spouse does this. No. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. As long as your children do this. As long as your co-worker doesn't as long as you're, bo- no, Mm-mm. you got to put on, you got to, you got to think about these things. Listen to Philippians 4 It says, finally, brothers and sisters, I know how, I know what day we're in today. Somebody be like, what about, doesn't the Bible say? Man, listen, man, we ain't dealing with the woke left feminism today. I'm going to say I'm going to say I ain't scared. I've been shot at point blank range, I'm from all that. He said there's finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You got to start replacing the thoughts to sin with thoughts not to sin, about things that honor God, not, not ways that you are just trying to, uh, I don't want to give him, but, but you're not replacing it with anything. I used to fall all the time. Because there was no, if you do not replace, rejection is only one part of it. In the Old Testament, it was all put off. It was all put off. Do not do this. Do not do that. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not commit. All the do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. In the New Testament, it's like, don't do this, but do this instead. You know why? Because now my spirit is in you. Now I've given you my spirit. Now I can help you more. Don't just do this. My spirit has certain attributes that come with it that you have access to. It's not, it, it's not enigmatic. It's not mysterious. It just requires effort, and it starts with your thinking. And many of us don't want to think. You'll think about all the stuff that you want to progress in in the world. You'll think about how much college you got to take, what courses you got to grow in, what tests you got to do, all that to, to get more money. Whatever you'll do, you'll think about all that. But when it comes to the faith, you just want to one day wake up and be godly. And you're wondering why you're not. I, yeah, listen, you know what I've learned? <laughs> getting older, I'm still cool. Though. <laughs> you know what I've learned about getting older? Is that the days change whether you're faithful or not. Time goes on. I wasted so much time thinking it like, all right, I got time. Time's going to keep going whether you do something or not. It's January 21st whether you did what you said you was going to do yesterday or not. It's just going to keep going. So it's like, so you can either not do it or do it, but time is going to keep going, whether you do it or not. Whatever you blame, it's not going going to change nothing. If you blame, well, I do this because of this, you keep blaming your spouse, cool. Keep doing that, a couple of years later, you'll be in the same place. A couple of years, you'll be in the same place. There is no credible translation that says obedience via someone else's. It's only obedience via Christ's obedience. That's it. There's no credible translation. Thinking begets acting. What's that, what's that uh, joint, Mike, uh, in the King James? So, as a man thinketh, so he is. That's why Snickers be doing them commercials. It's successful. Be showing like an old Phyllis Diller or something. I complain. They be like, man, eat a Snickers, man. You, you hungry. And they bite it and they turn into a northern. Thank you, man. I just, they understand. It's a good slogan. This, this
1: becomes this. What's another, what's another method that it puts here? Here's another
0: method. So number one, we were just talking about, um, well, we just, we talk, number two was cast off, cast put on, and number one was just wait from sleep. Here's a third, third thought. It says this in verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So it says walk properly, right? Similar language that we heard in in, in verse 11. It's basically saying progress with awareness. Make progress. Be aware. Be hip or slip. Use that one. I'll be here till Thursday. Be hip or slip. And then it lists three ways to walk properly by avoiding these categories of sin. And so it lists orgies and drunkenness. Now, these are not just individual sin issues. This is a spectrum. Now, in the modern day, orgies mean something else than what it means in the Bible. We've changed this word to mean multiple sexual acts at one time with multiple people. That's not what it means in the Bible. Komos is a Greek word. And it means... Revelry, carousing, taking pleasure or delighting in, specifically, excessive feasting. That's what it means. Taking pleasure, delighting in, excessive feasting. So couple that with drunkenness, and you have this spectrum of God saying, do not live a party lifestyle. Do not live a party lifestyle. It will not glorify him. Excessive drinking. I'm not saying don't go to parties, but a party lifestyle. I know a lot of people who live like that. Love getting drunk and don't care. Don't even care. I bet you people in this room have done this. you just been drunk and you told, you wasn't even, I don't even know if you were saved or not, but you told God, God, please, if I just, I will not do it again. If you just love. <laughs> Hang over, Lord, I promise I will never drink again if you would just take this. Ugh. Right? Hello? Hey, what's good, man? You good? What you doing tonight? Where the party at, man? Where we going? You trying to go? I hey, meet me at the liquor store. All right, bet what you going to get? The same stuff I had last week. Lord, please don't. Wilding. Living a party lifestyle. Excessive drinking and fe- drunkenness. Living a party lifestyle. I used to kid myself because I was a big dude. And, I could drink a couple of Long Island Nights Teas, I'd be all right. Hung out with some folks one time, and I had three of them joints. They was like, I was like, man, shoot, I'm good. Man, I got up, <laughs> and the world was a different place. <laughs> I was like, hold on. I got got. Then I was like, hey, man, give me some water. Something. It was like, bro, water ain't going to do nothing to that, bro. You're going to have to walk it out, walk
1: it out, zip.
0: I said, I was doing the church in Atlanta, right? Walk it out. Walk. We'd never do that here. Man, man I'm wilding right now. Warren people get me fired up. I told y'all. All right, so the next, the next category, sexual immorality and sensuality. All right, sexual immorality is obvious. Sexual intercourse outside of God's design for a husband and wife, biologically, men and woman, in, in marriage, right? That's obvious. But sensuality means something different than it means to us, because sensuality today is connected to sexuality. That's not what it means biblically. Biblically, the word is aselgeia, and it means licentiousness. It means self-abandonment, and unrestrained pursuit of sin. Sexuality can be included but it includes violence up to being rude. Just being rude. This is just the range of words. Unrestrained sexuality, violence to rudeness. So from sexual sin to violence, even down to rudeness, God is saying, reject this. Reject this. And then that leads to quarreling and jealousy. Quarreling, strife, eris, the word, strife, contention discord, prone to argue. We sing the song prone to wander, right? Some people are prone to argue. And you have jealousy,
1: rivalry, eagerness to compete. You got comparison
0: and competition leading to conflict. And God's saying, don't do that. Stop comparing yourself to somebody else because you don't know what's going on for real. Especially on a Sunday. Yeah. I might know because I know I'm talking, I'm, I'm counseling the people. I don't know. I don't know what's going on for real. Yeah, I don't know if them tears are, man, I love the Lord or, "And I'm sorry. You don't know if the affection that your husband shows his wife is the first time he's touched her in two weeks because they've been fighting. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know if the joy that that person is expressing in worship might be because they've gotten over something really serious for the first time in their lives. You don't know. We don't compare ourselves except to the Lord. Am I more like you, Lord? Because I don't know what they're doing. Because the person who compared himself that we see clearly in Scripture was the Pharisee, Luke 18. And Jesus, he said, look, I'm glad I'm not like him and these other people. I do this, this, and this. Jesus said, that man did not go home justified. And if he didn't go home justified, that means his sins were not forgiven. He's in hell. So you compare yourself to others and can talk competition with them. And one of the ways that you can tell people are comparing themselves in the competition is you boast. Stop boasting. What do they call it? Humble brag? You boast. You boast. Who cares what you do and what you have? Impress us by loving your wife. Impress us by serving in the church. I tell people who join the church all the time, listen, um, you know, we have serving as one of our categories. And I'd say, listen, that's about posture, not position. You might be like, hey, I led worship at my old church. Cool. You got a worship leader, though. We don't need that. You can audition for him, and he might, you know, your old church could have had different ears than we got. The first two weeks of American Idol are real, y'all. Wake from your sleep. Set your alarm clock to go off when you're tempted to do these things. Last observation. And this is the way we give, the most common way we assist Satan. He says this in verse 14. We'll put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the most common way that we assist Satan by making provision. Provision is the word pronoia in the Greek and it means to give foresight. To think beforehand. Make provisions. To think about it beforehand. To have in mind to do it beforehand. Here's what God is saying. Do not anticipate or make preparations to or plan ahead to give in this sin. Don't do that. Because you're making provision for the flesh and you will gratify his desires. Because of time, I'm only going to list one way. There are two ways that I have But I think we give in the flesh. We make provision. Being reactive instead of proactive is one. I'll say this quickly. The second one is more. I want to spend a couple more minutes. Being reactive is remembering to fight sin after you fail. Trying to understand how you justify giving in the temptation. Being proactive is remembering to fight sin before you give in. So you're making provision. You're thinking beforehand how to not give in to the flesh. Now, both of them are needed because we're going to fail. right? We're going to sin. So we got to do both. But there are some sin issues, either they're repetitive or they're more dominating in our lives, that you're not going to make progress by the reacting method. You're just going to keep failing and keep reacting and you're not going to make progress. There are some issues is you cannot wait until you're tempted to fight sin. You cannot wait. It's too late then. Because you've made provision for the flesh in that area, that once temptation kicks in, it's too late. You have to fight before that because you know this is an issue in my life. You have to. There's some issues that you got to have a plan to reject and replace before the battle begins. I won't say more there but we'll get into that more in the next coming weeks. The second issue which I think is more important and how we make provision for the flesh is not understanding what
1: biblical maturity is. And we don't understand how we grow in maturity. So
0: first, what is biblical maturity? It's a committed it's conviction, it's a committed desire To honor the Lord that decides what thoughts, words, and deeds we will and won't do. And we grow in that. There are things I will not do because of a conviction that I have. To honor the Lord. There are things I won't do. I will make decisions to not do certain things because I'm not even setting myself up. I'm not putting myself in that situation. I'm just not going to do it. And it varies. It varies from things that cost me, like not going on a great photography trip,
1: because I thought, you know what? No, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to be tempted. But many of us don't understand how we grow in maturity. Let me explain what I mean. Growing
0: in maturity is three letters, DDT. Now, if we're talking about crops, it's a spray that it is an If we're talking about wrestling, it's this nice move Jake the Snake used to do when he, boom. There's a couple of y'all that know what that is. That was my move, too. I love Jake the Snake. I I miss him. If we're talking about the faith, DDT means desire, distance, time. Maturity and how you grow is desire, distance, time. You will not grow without these three things. You have to have a desire to grow. There needs to be distance from particular giving innocent habits, and there needs to be time of doing that. You will not grow. Let me tell you what I mean by we don't understand how to grow. We are often too quick to think we've dealt with sin issues when in reality there's not enough distance from them. There's not enough distance. There's not enough time You haven't been tested enough to prove I'm resisting this successfully. Sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll be like, man, I'm having, these last two weeks have been the best. And you talk like you've turned the corner. And it's like, well, you're peeking around the corner. But it's been a couple weeks. You haven't been tested. There's no distance. There's no time. Many of us have the desire to be mature but we're often trying to show that we've gotten past an area and that we're closer to the finish line than we think. But maturity is a process, it's not a conversation. It's not having a really good week. You know, you sit down with your spouse, y'all have a couple good conversations, and two weeks of less fighting, and you think we're done
1: with who we were. No, you're not. Say that two years from now. It's too close. We don't,
0: we have a desire but we don't want the distance or the time. And don't get me wrong, that's making progress. And that's good. That's good. Have those times. You need those two weeks, those good conversations to create distance because that shows desire. But it's not time and distance yet. We're so eager to, to prove that's just, that's making progress and that's good, but biblical maturity is about process, not progress. Bro, process. Many believers are obsessed with progress, but no process. They just want to be like, yeah, man, I'm really, you know, I'll meet with some, I'll meet with people and they be like, man, Pastor Kurt, I'm really applying the verses now. I'm doing good now. I'm like, hey, praise God, bro, good. And they'll talk like, man, I'm, I ain't going back. And they'll like, say, all right, okay, good. That might happen. But I always tell people, look, man, just, you know, stay focused, keep fighting. And usually within a couple weeks, we back. No shame. Let's just work through it. What happened? What what did you do? What what, what weren't you thinking? How do we turn that alarm clock louder in this area? Distance and time have to do with being tested and rejecting and replacing. Setting up habits of rejecting and replacing. And then it's like, okay, good, I'm getting stronger. I could be around a lot of my old friends in the streets now and it wouldn't even because there's too much time and distance. Ain't no way I'm stealing candy bars for, because of grace. That's just, I'm too, I'm I've been walking with the Lord too long, fam. You could give me whatever drug you want, I'll just smack it out of your hand, and then we might have to fight because you thought I was going to do it. And we'll deal with that. But, like, it's just like, there's just certain things, it's like, man, I'm just too far removed from that. I'm not saying I can't fall. No, 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 no. We can fall on anything, but I don't have a desire to do that. I don't even have a desire to be reckless like that. It could happen, it could happen. I don't have the desire, though. There's too much distance in time. That DDT is real to me. Because you have to be tested. Maturity is about testing. It's all over the Bible. What did James say? Count it all joy when you experience trials of various kinds, right? Why? Because you're learning endurance, steadfastness, right? Let steadfastness have its full effect. You're being tested so that you can reject and replace so that you can be mature. You can persevere so that you learn how to fight later. You get better and better. You move on, you move on, and you move on. But if you keep giving in, you never see that you can actually beat these things, and then you, get, then you just settle for mediocrity or immaturity for the majority of your life. You've been a Christian your whole life, and, or on the fringes your whole life. Why is that? Why are you on the fringes as a Christian? You've been a Christian the majority of your life, 10, 12, 15, 20 years. What are you on the fringes for? Why are you not serving in church? Why are you not a leader in the church? You should be my pastor. What are you doing? Why are you always making excuses? It's always something. When is it the Lord? These are the things he's getting at. Like, look, maturity is a process, it's desire, distance, and time. And many of us don't want that. Why do you think Jesus was born and then waited three decades to have a three year ministry? Why do you think that? Because you need a distance in time. You need to prove. You got to prove that he's the Messiah. I got to prove that I'm going to resist sin. Now because he only got three years on earth, you ain't dealing with typical temptation. You're dealing with the tempter himself. Go into the wilderness. Heavyweight champ of righteousness versus heavyweight champ of evil.
1: Let's go. You got to resist. Even Jesus. Had to have desire distance
0: and time listen to hebrews 5:8 says this although he was a son he learned obedience through what he suffered some of us don't want to suffer it's always my mental health. It's always my children's fault. It's always my spouse's fault. It's always my boss's fault. It's always pastor's fault. It's always the structure of the church. It's always, I got, I, I got, do, you do you pursue all these things, except the Lord, and then wonder why a couple of years from now, you don't know why, you, where, where you fit at in the church. What place you have, it's people in this church that should be running this church. Running the church. You've been a Christian for too long. To be where you are, and I love you too much, and I ain't gonna pat you on the back and pretend like it's not true. And that's for all of us. I'm I'm not exempt. There are areas, man. You've been doing this too long, bro. What are you doing? I got areas too. He learned obedience through what he suffered. That was God's way of saying his maturity came with testing and time. There was distance. It was distance. It was testing and time. He had a desire. You need a distance in
1: time. Suffering. We think of suffering in a, in, a, in a negative way. Suffering
0: isn't, all right, somebody's going, you're going to get hit in the back of it, and they're going to destroy your. Co-. No, suffering is just simply denying yourself. Because sin, their sins will be enjoyed doing. But we're afraid to not do. We'll compromise because we don't want to be, feel this way. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be lonely. We don't want to be, you know, fill in the blank. If maturity was a process for Jesus, why wouldn't it be for us? It said he had to learn obedience through what he suffered. Learn. Not he arrived and was like ready to go. He had to learn. This is the scripture said that. I ain't saying it scripture. Learn means learn. He had to learn obedience through what he suffered. Why would it be different for you and I? How are you trying to be Christ-like but then don't do the things that Christ suffered like? You can't do it. It doesn't work. Stop getting offended when people challenge you. Maybe the Lord is telling you, God knows my heart. That's why he's, you're getting told what you're being told.
1: Maturity is a process. It's distance. Desire time. That's how
0: we grow. That's how God set it up. Stop being so eager. Because it's about appearance, right? Appearance. Stop being so eager to show you, it's okay. You failed. It's okay. Let's keep it moving. We all fall. Let's go. Let's go. The Lord didn't choose you because you weren't going to fall. He chose you knowing how many times you would, but let's go. Don't try to cast out what you have to cast off because God cares more about the process and the motive for our growth and the outcome. God already said their sins are covered. They're paid for. Why you think David committed that sin and Nathan was like, your sins have already been covered?
1: As we told him. 2 Samuel 12, 7. Say, you are the man. But your sins have been covered already.
0: Church, your sins have been covered. Stop being ashamed. Turn them into a shield and let's go. Stop making provision for the flesh by making maturity be something that's too elusive and too far away. It's just, it's a little bit of work. But it requires community. I'm going to end with this. This is what Peter says. I love this. Peter says this. This is, a, this is an encouragement that it takes community. Listen to this. 1 Peter 5, 8 9. Here's what Peter says. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Listen is what he's saying. Resist the devil, firm in your faith, knowing you're not alone. This is what Michael Jackson got it from. You are not alone. You are not alone. Knowing that your brothers, the brotherhood around the world is doing the same thing. People in here got sin issues and struggle and fall and you think you by yourself and you sitting beside somebody who had the same thought or the same thing last night. That's the enemy of scheming the devil. you by yourself. It's just you. Man, you're in a room full of people doing stuff. You're in a room full of people. You're in good company. Since so your brotherhood around the world is suffering, experiencing the same temptations to sin. The same sufferings, community. This is the way, church. And not just you individually. Stop coming to church, leaving, and not doing nothing else. You need people. We need each other. Stop playing around so much with your faith. Take it seriously. You're in a, if you don't want to be in this church, go to a church where you'll have community, but have it. You need it. You can't. Sunday is not enough for you. You're not mature enough to come to church on Sunday and leave and don't do nothing else and come back next Sunday fired up. You're not mature enough. You're not, because that's not the means of grace that God provided. Now, if you was a prisoner and something like that, sure. When I was locked up, we had these little Bible studies or whatever, and I couldn't get to tr- God will meet you. I remember one night I was in isolation because I did something dumb. I'm in isolation, D2. They put me in a cell by myself for days. The, the floor was filled with water, it was wintertime. It was freezing. And I wasn't even really living for the Lord, but I knew enough about the Lord. That I just, at some point, I don't know how many hours I was in there, I just started praying. And I remember singing some songs that I had sung at a church I had visited earlier, like years before. Just singing to the Lord. I had no idea that the Lord was using that to stir my heart and affections that would one day have me telling y'all to do this. I don't mean get locked up and go into isolation, but I, don't do that. That's not what Pastor meant. But it was like, you know what? I'm here. You have a brotherhood. And if this isn't the right brotherhood for you, we get it. But you have a brotherhood of people that are fighting, that are trying to believe until they leave. You are not alone. And when you fail, you're not alone. But you've got to wake from your sleep. All these sermons won't mean anything unless you're willing to do that. Listen, this church has taught, well, I'm not boasting, there are plenty of better teachers than us, way better than us. Got all that, gollier than us, better looking than all of that. They're not as cool as us, but they got us into some things. They got us into a couple things. But the Lord is not going to tell us we wasn't teaching at this church. So what is your excuse going to be? Because you cannot claim you were at a church that didn't teach the Bible. You cannot. So what are you going to say? That you didn't have time? You think the Lord cares about how much time you give to your degree or your business or whatever you do? If it neglects him, you think that pleases the Lord? You think he cares about that, honestly? Your 401k, he can bless you, you don't even know what's coming. You think the Lord really cares about the American dream? You think he really cares about how much money you have, how much knowledge you
1: have, how long you've been a a Christian? No. What family you grew up in?
0: There are no grandchildren in the faith. There are no cousins, uncles, nephews. There are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. The Lord is not impressed with me, and he ain't impressed with you. He's laid it out. This is what we do. We fail, we fight, we go. You're a failure, I'm a failure. Christ isn't.
1: So we fight. Stop being ashamed of your sin. Turn it into a shield and let's go.
0: Stop coming, stop thinking that church is enough for you. It's not. You're not that mature. You need the brotherhood. You need community. You need people who know you and people who don't know you. I'm glad that everybody in this church isn't from where I'm from, because I would get away with stuff. I could say stuff and they'd be like, "Shoot, I know what you're talking about." I got people to be like, what, you, "What does that mean, Pastor?" Like, "Why would you?" <laughs> oh, I meant this. Oh, well, why would you do that? Oh. <laughs> oh, uh, that's what we did in the hood. Yeah, but you're not in the hood right now. Like, why would you? (laughs) That says the Lord. You you have the gift of prophecy. The Lord is speaking through you. Victory is possible, but it's not going to happen on your terms. It's going to happen on his process of maturity, not ours. D-D-T. Desire, which most of us have, distance, and time. And let me replace the last T with one other thing. Because it's time, but it's also transparency. Transparency. You're not that mature. Most people probably don't even think about your maturity. You don't have to pretend. You can be transparent, not because you're worried about what people are going to think, but because you're just trying to grow. I will tell y'all stuff that most pastors never say to their church. I don't really care. I'll be in small groups, stuck groups, sharing stuff that no pastor would ever say that. I don't care what you are. I'm trying to grow too. I'll be transparent because I'm trying to grow. I gotta grow too. I'm not I'm not exempt because we me and my because we sit in this. No. I actually have more responsibility. My weaknesses are magnified to me.
1: No one's exempt. Transparency will help you. People bear your burdens.
0: This is the spirit speaking through that baby right there. Tell me y'all, <laughs> y'all have no idea that spirit telling y'all spirit is agreeing right now. Wake from your sleep. Next week, anger.
1: Say mm, after y'all leave. Let's pray. Lord, you walked on this earth for 33 years
0: learning obedience. You paved the way. You, you created the process and then submitted to it. That's crazy, Lord. You created the process and then you submitted to it under evil people. I mean, you. we always talk about, Lord, how you became a baby and all these things, but but. Even though Mary, was, Mary and Joseph were sinful people. You, you lived in a community watching self-righteous, evil Pharisees teach and lead. You went to synagogue and tolerated these men who were not worthy of you teaching. you. You submitted yourself to all of the evil things that humanity does. You watched the Romans brutalize your people. You watched the evil and you submitted underneath it. You paid taxes to a wicked regime that will stand be- that stood before you and did not make it. Lord, help us to imitate you for real and not try to create distance from our crosses. Help the distance to be an imitation of you, not in replacing Lord, it's good that we make progress, but this is about, about process. This is a process that we're in. Maturity takes time. It takes distance. We don't have anything to prove because we trust you. You did, the, you did it. We don't have to prove anything. We can be transparent. It takes time. All of these things, it's okay, Lord. You know that. You tell us that. Help us. We're not trying to not have sadness for sin. But help us to turn that shame that we experience into a shield. Help us to remember so that our thoughts are not taking us captive, but we're taking them captive. May we not be asleep. May we wake from that sleep so that we're not vulnerable physically and mentally. Help us to not depend or lean on crutches, but carry our
1: crosses. For your glory and our good. In your name we pray.
2: Amen. Thank you, sir, for that very uh very practical walking through of um Romans thirteen, eleven through fourteen. a uh, lot like to apply, process and apply. Um, and we do have a few questions <clears throat> and um I'll start with this one. Um, could you explain what you mean when you say that uh lust, anger, gossip, those kinds of things are part of the cross we carry? Because so to
0: take up your cross, it means you choose to suffer, right? We don't get to choose your suffering, but we choose to suffer by following Jesus. The primary way we suffer is resisting the temptation to sin in particular areas. And most of the reasons why we sin in those areas are because it feels good. There's pleasure in doing so. Listen, we, so we're doing anger and then gossip is the following week. Because we live in a culture of gossip. What we just call it is the tea right now we just call it stuff like the tea it's just gossip we live in a culture of talking about people we 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 want to get information about people so we I couch it in prayer requests you just want to know what's going on you don't need to know what the, the specifics of nobody's issue to pray for cuz you're praying to a god who knows everything so so these these you know what i'm saying so these issues right these issues that we struggle with these are all things that we're, we're, we're as, as, as Romans says, we're, we've been crucified, right? We've been nail, we're nailing these things to the cross. We're denying ourselves, giving in to our lust, God's, all the sin issues that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. That's the goal, is we're resisting those things, and that's a cross, because those are fundamentally who we are. There's still some things that I still carry over from just being a street dude for a long time. I was in the streets for a while. I've been in the church for a while. Some things you guys still fight. I a, I'm doing a 180, but I'm like, some people do a 180. I've hit every degree. So I'm at like 137 right now. But there's still some things that, you know, and that, there are things that I, I used to do that were funny to me that now I know they're sinful. I can't laugh at these things. Anymore. I'm not to be like, nah, I can't laugh at that, man. That's not even funny. I'm in certain situations and dudes will crack jokes about things and I'll just be like, nah, it's funny as I don't know what. Or something else. So I'm just like, but I'm just like, nah. I can't talk about this. Like it's not a big deal. You know, like celebrating these people committing these crimes, these young kids running up, killing each other, and I'm and it's like we talking about it like it's crazy. Like it's body wild, wild out here. Like it's almost entertaining. And it's like, man, this is that boy sent that boy possibly to hell when he killed him. I have to change my thinking. Otherwise, I, I can easily entertain some of these things because I'm from that. I relate to the streets. I'm from that. I can jump into a situation in the conversation and be like, I'm still there because I know the world. But I have to renew my mind and realize, what does this actually mean, eternally speaking? If I put eternity first, this is terrible. So all the things that you're describing, they're all things that we have to resist. They're crosses that we have to carry. And some areas we're going to carry, some areas have fallen off my cross. I don't struggle with that. anymore. But some areas I'm going to probably carry for the rest of my life. And I just accept it. So that's what I mean.
2: Thank you um you were you talked about uh, things we should cast off versus uh, what should be cast out. Some person asks a question um, what would you consider a Jezebel spirit if not uh, directly if not associated directly with the character flaw of lust? So I can't find in the Bible
0: Jezebel spirit. I can't find it. so that's something that someone made up about Jezebel. The only time Jezebel is mentioned is in the Old Testament and in Revelation when he's talking to a church and says you entertain Jezebel who leads my people into sexual morality." There's no two words together that say Jezebel spirit. So first let's, let's start with we're not talking about something that the Bible describes as biblical. What we're doing is saying that that woman her attitude and actions someone's acting like that and that's a Jezebel spirit and I just think that's dangerous because the Bible doesn't call it that. I would rather call it what the Bible actually calls it, because there's no, there's no command to repent of a Jezebel spirit. It's like, it's like when, when all this stuff happened with, with, with the Black Lives Matter movement, and then we got into all these, these phrases like, like, you're gaslighting me. or you're, I was like, how, what, what, what verse do I look at? To, what does that mean? Even the word narcissist, what does that mean? Because when I look up the definition, I don't know anybody who's not a narcissist. How are some people narcissists and some not? Based on the definition, everybody's a narcissist or is narcissistic. So I just, to me, all these terminologies don't mean anything. How do I repent of being a What does that mean? What, what fruit of the spirit do I need to replace with a Jezebel spirit? So I don't know what that means to the person asking the question, but based on what I know how people use it, I think it's sexual immorality, adultery, anger. I think then just go after that. Like I don't I think these are just names that I think confuse us from the actual issues. Don't tell me I'm gaslighting you. If you think I'm lying to you, you then say that. If you think I'm trying to manipulate you, you then say that. You talk about gaslighting me, I'm like, well, I got electric. I don't really use <laughs> I don't use gas. so I didn't know what you was talking about, gaslighting. I thought that meant flashlight. So I was like, flashlight. I'm on. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm old enough to go back. Gaslight, I don't know what that is. I was like, shoot, I mean, my gaslight, I went to check my car, my gaslight is not on. I don't know what they're talking about. You gaslight me, shoot, my joint ain't on. Oh, that man, I'm not learning all this new language. What does the Bible say? So I'll start there. I think it's all sexual immorality stuff. That's what most people think when they think Jezebel's spirit. They attribute it to sexuality, adultery, all these different things, right? Go after that. I think put to death those things. Reject the desire to do those things. And you know what? Don't even be ashamed that you have the desire. It is what it is. I don't got Jesus being ashamed to, to follow the devil. I don't remember Jesus saying that. Like, oh man, I'm ashamed that I got tempted. And then the, then the verse said that Satan left him until an opportune time. So there were other times that Satan tried to figure it out. I just think like, listen, this is your struggle. This is your cross. Carry it and keep it moving. And you need help. If Jesus has Simon of Cyrene to help carry his cross, who's your Simon? A lot of people carrying their crosses by themselves and they're just too heavy. Jesus, his cross was too heavy. So they brought in Simon to help him carry it. Jesus ain't had no problem with it. He ordained it to happen as an illustration. It's a, you and I need help carrying our crosses.
1: You can't do it alone. I don't know if that answers the question, but if it didn't, just get to me.
0: <clears throat> but if it's not clear, I think Jezebel's spirit is a wash.
2: right uh this question is what should be the balance between distancing and casting off the balance of distancing
0: and casting off i just think well casting off is what you're doing consistently right or if there's an area you're rejecting this thing right distance is how far away from the last time you gave in to this thing. That's what distance is. Like there's distance in certain areas. There's, there's so much distance between me and certain sins that it would, it, something would have to mentally, psychologically happen to me to do certain things. Because there's just too much distance. And I know what that shame felt like. I know what it felt like to live like that. I know the hopelessness that I felt when I did that. The lie that it presented did not manifest. It, would, it lasted for a minute, it was good for a minute, but then it didn't afterwards, there was much more hopelessness, condemnation after that. So there's too much distance for me. So you don't even there are times something will pop into mind. This morning I had a thought pop into my mind and I, I just I talked to myself. I was like, hey bro, you can say that all you want, but I'm not you you wasting your time. I'm not crossing that line. So you can pop that in my head all you want, but I'm not doing it. I'm not crossing. It. I'll say that out loud to myself on any occasion I feel like. I'm just like, man, you you tripping right now. I'm not, I'm not you can pop that in my head all you want. You can pop her in my mind all you want. I'm not doing it. So I'll, you might as well give up. This is a dumb pursuit. I will talk like that to myself. I'm not like, you can say that all you want. You can pop that in my mind all you want. I ain't thinking it. It's wickedness. There <laughs> yeah, you do it. We be popping something in my mind all the time. Like, yep, you pop in my mind all you want, bro. It ain't happening. So keep it up. I was like, man, you, you stupid, bro. I'll say that to myself. I'll hear a thumb like, be quiet, man. You're not the voice of the Lord. Stop talking to me, man. I'll say that. I said that to myself this morning. I was getting ready. I was like, maybe be quiet. You're not the voice of the Lord. Man. Stop talking to me, man. I'm not listening to you. It's just you're doing that constantly. But there's distance from times when you're giving in. There's some distance. Let me tell you something. When you get some distance, then you're like, okay, we can do this. I can fight this. I can do this. And believe me, it can happen for even the toughest areas. There are some that are going to be harder. But there some areas where it's like, you know what, this is hard because it's just, I don't want to reject it. Or I don't know how the best way to reject it. If you need help, let's, let's get it. Let's do it. No one's ashamed here. I'm not, we're not ashamed of nobody here. Y'all accept me, I accept you. It is what it is. The Lord accepts us. What are we talking about? The Lord is not up there like, oh, you sending this way? Oh, nah, bro. You can't be around me. He was like, you sending this way? Man, you need to be around me. You need proximity to me. We don't need distance from the Lord. We need distance from this particular attitude or action. So that's where—that's how I think those things correlate. But you'll hear, over the next few weeks, this is where we're going to hit. All these different issues. Anger, gossip, all these issues. But if you struggle with it, we got you covered.
2: So uh, now we want to ask about um, the involvement <clears throat> of others in uh, the question. Practical steps can we take uh, towards helping one another cast off sin and replace it with uh, godly habits in our small groups?
0: I think have the courage to actually have that conversation. Have the courage to have that conversation. You just don't do it. I, I know I'm going to get pushback on this, but I already said it before, so I'm going to say it again. I think women do not challenge each other enough in this church. You get each other's back you relate to each other, especially in marriages, you don't hardly challenge each other that much. The guys, if they're connected to me, they get challenged. Guys will hit me, talk about a conflict they had. I'll be like, man, I'm so sorry, bro. Talk to her with them. And then, hey, but you got to, boom. Ask any of these guys. Ask any of them. I think women commiserate too much. You get each other's back. It's like, a, it's like the worldly sisterhood. We're like, no, we got to defend each other. I understand what she's going through. Who cares? Does the Lord agree with that? And we don't have these conversations. We don't say it. We be, we've been around people in groups so long we don't challenge anymore. We just accept that's how they are. If there's people in your group that ain't really come to church, you ain't heard them say nothing in a long time, next meeting, I'd like to hear from such and such. Don't say nothing. Just let it go. Let it go. That's frozen.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and if you grown enough that's Teddy Pendergrass <laughs> some of y'all know about that but all right. we, you know we grown you just don't do it enough you'll go to these small groups and you'll go and hear all the stuff about the Bible but won't nobody say hey let's talk about how we doing do you know why all the great stuff happened in our church because our group our core group was like, hey, let's talk about grace for a second. And we just had a 20, 30-minute conversation about grace. And we were just like, hold on. The next thing you know, it became some of the best sermons I've taught in this church. Because we was like, let's talk about grace. Let's, let's, let me push back on how we understand grace and process it. Everybody who was there, they, they all shaking their heads, yeah, because they know. But I can't be the only one that's not afraid to do it. Why are you in a small group if you're not willing to be transparent and be open? Ask have the, have the question. If people get offended, then that's something to talk about right there. Why are you offended, bro? Why are you offended? Like, what are you offended for? People don't want to push back because you just, you think you're more mature than you are. Just start with, I'm just not as mature as I think I am. Let's just go there. Start there. I'm not as mature as I think I am. And so anything, and honestly, you're worse than you think you are because Jesus had to die on the cross for you. So whatever anybody says about you, you're actually worse than that. Because they don't even know something's in your heart and what you think. Of. They don't even know that right now they're talking to you, you're thinking of different ways to torture them. <laughs> they don't even know that. Right? They don't know. I think we just, we just, we're, just, we're just cowards. We're cowards. We don't want to have the conversation. It's, like, it's, not, not, it's not trying to be rude or not. It's like, hey, how's everyone doing? How are you really doing? Stop showing up in couples groups and talking about peripheral things. How are you really doing? How are y'all really doing? Why haven't you guys shared any conflicts in the last month or two? You haven't shared anything. How are you guys doing? It's like we just don't have those conversations. So we don't want to rock the boat. Rock the boat. Even Aaliyah said that. If you're old enough to remember. I just think we just, it's not complicated. It's just, hey, let's just commit to having this conversation. Let your group know. If you're the leader of the group, hey guys, we're going to have a conversation about these things this weekend. This, so prepare yourselves. Don't wait until the group, and then people got to think on their feet. Uh, 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 just be like, hey, listen, this is what we're going to talk about here. Are three questions I want you to answer, and everyone's going to share when they show up. And just have the conversation. There's no shame. There's no none of it. We all fall. There's no shame. You're not. You're not unique. <laughs> you're just not a unique sinner. We're just all just wild. <laughs> you might not do this or haven't done, but you're just not unique. There's some stuff that's just like, okay, I'm gonna. Never mind. So yeah, you're not unique. So I just think, just have the conversation. If, if you feel like your group's not bringing it up, talk to the leader of the group. If the leader doesn't want to bring it up, then talk to me. I bet you your next meeting will have that happen. Talk to Mike. Because <laughs> I mean, we're not saying there always has to be that, but let's just be clear. It shouldn't be like it's never that. I don't care who you are. First gen on down. Nobody's exempt. Nobody's exempt. All groups should be like, how are you really doing? How are you really doing? How are you doing with your parenting? How are you really doing? How are you doing with your personal walk with the Lord? What things are you really struggling with?
1: That's fellowship. We've had the best fellowship in those times. Best fellowship. That's what I was saying. All right, well, that sets up this question, which
2: I was going to rephrase, but I'm not. mentioned this before women are very nice to each other yep and with within uh, women's ministry we are um easy on each other um i find it hard to to be direct especially hard to be direct or to ask to be challenged by other women um and it's especially hard to mentor women when they have been waiting for years for a husband or a child any advice how we women specifically can call each other. Can call each, can can each can call each other on toward the Lord. All
0: right, so there's a couple different issues there. So let me try to separate them as best as I can. And if I'm wrong, I apologize, you can get to me. So the first issue is women's ministry. So I so that's something that like caringly, I see that differently than what I'm talking about. I don't think Karen's gonna be like, all right, ladies, we all going to it's too that's not the purpose of that, right? Women's ministry is something different. That doesn't mean things can't happen at the prayer, breakfast, and conversations happen. But women's ministry is a little bit different. Um, in terms of that's how I think of women's ministry. It's like what Karen leads and Tammy and that's different to me. I'm not I w I mean, if y'all have that sweet, I'm not expecting when you gather it'd be just a big group of like confession and crying, right? I'm not expecting that. You know, so I know how women get down. Dudes would be like, oh Super superficial with it, right? So, so I, we, we might have to get some coffee cake or something for some of these dudes. So, so I don't mean, women's ministry is different, but if you're talking about, now we're talking about smaller because you said women who are single want to be married and stuff like that, how do we work through those things, alright? So I don't know what context you're referring to, if you're talking about one-on-one or in group context, but this is what I would say. Wherever it's one-on-one or group, First of all, you have to define what you mean by helping people, right? We often think, how do we change someone's attitude, actions or behavior? And you cannot. You just can't. So I don't I will challenge you to behave a certain way, but I can't change it. People who at the meeting yesterday heard me share a personal thing that I can't change even the closest people to you. You can't do that. No one has that that has to come from the Lord, the Spirit. So take the pressure off of thinking that you have to be the one that changes them right? And think more like, well, hey, let me remind them of the claim that God has. Let me remind them of the truth that God says. I can't, even as a pastor, there's a trust that you have of me that my counsel matters to you. But I can't change you. and I don't don't put that pressure on myself. I will be here for you. I will cry with you, laugh with you, and at you at times. (laughs) That's intimacy. We laugh at each other, right? Crack jokes. But I can't change you, so I don't approach things like that. What I approach is, what does truth say to this situation? And I try to think biblical truth and specifics. I don't use a lot of psychological, cultural language. That stuff is confusing. I don't, I don't have, listen, and I understand, so wh- now you're talking about a person who wants to be married. With a, now you're talking about the Bible addresses that as a hope deferred makes the heart sick. So you've got to start with the fact that, wow, this person is struggling. The Bible even says a hope deferred means hope that you have that you don't get will affect a person's heart. So I'm not correcting people who are lonely. I get it. I'm not correcting that because there's a sadness with that. There's a challenge with that. So I want to be compassionate. And I want to remind them of things. But what you should try to do is always remind people. There's almost in almost every example that people go through, or feeling at least, there's something in the Bible that connects. You talk about you feel betrayed by someone. Okay, let's go to Jesus. He was betrayed by his closest people. He can relate to betrayal. How did he treat Judas, who he knew was betraying him the whole time? You can go to these different things. Loneliness, all these things, they're real. So I think you have to be, what I would do, if if you're having trouble establishing that, then set the tone for what that conversation will be like. Because most people, don't know how that conversation's going to go, and so they're afraid to be in that conversation. So set the tone for that conversation. Hey, I wanted to talk about this, and this is where I, I'd like to go. How are you, are you guys all right with that? Just set the tone for what you're trying to accomplish in that conversation so that a person knows. Because no one likes to be blindsided. There was a point where now, if people who ask to meet with me and I don't meet with you often, I'll be like, hey, what's the agenda? Because I'm just a human being. You got to remember, there's a gangster that lives in the basement of me. If you show up and I think, hey, we're just going to talk or whatever, and you come at me with all this stuff, by the grace of God, I can but there's still a part of me that's like, man, who? You know, I'm I'm not doing it in front of you, but in my mind, I'm looking around like, man, who is this part man? What? I'm fighting that because I'm a human being. Don't come in and sucker punch me because I might not be mature enough in that moment. I want to say, what's the agenda? What are we talking about? Because if it's something, okay, I can deal with whatever, but I want to know ahead of time so I can prepare for that. Sometimes we don't prepare each other for it. We just want people to show up and be ready to, it's like, nah, set the tone for it. Hey, this is what we're going to talk about. Is everybody good with that? Anyone have any questions about that? I would do things like that that will help you have those conversations. But just know, when it comes to singleness and loneliness, that's just tough stuff. That's just not, that's not, you can't give somebody a verse and they walk away and be like, sweet, thank you. <laughs> it's certain issues, you just can't do that. So the Bible says, like weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. You just try to remind people of God's faithfulness in their life, and you know, but you're not gonna give somebody who's lonely. And I, and I don't even mean singing, you'd be lonely and be married. You're not gonna give somebody a verse and just that's not how scripture works. Hey, take these two, these two verses, call me in the morning doesn't work like that. Most people actually have those verses memorized, and so now they're even more discouraged. Because right. you thought this was the, this. listen, this ain't no magic eight ball. And you will, no, it's like, no, let me, let, me, let me walk you through how I think about this, So let me try to help you in this. But you know the other thing you should do? Follow up. Follow up. Change does not happen because you met with a person. It happens because you walked with and too much of our stuff is just, it's just regimented by the structure of the church. So I go to church on Sunday, core group midweek, and then that's it. I don't talk to these people outside of that, none of it. The best fellowship I've had is not in my group, except when I was in Billy Womack's group. We were getting it in. Billy's the best leader in the church. We were getting it in. We were getting it in. The best fellowship I had is when we just chilling we watching a game, or oh, New Year's Eve, right? We have my house, New Year's Eve. It ended up being seven of us left, and we had fantastic fellowship. Some of those people left at 4 a.m. I still haven't recovered. <laughs> I just think we have, to, we have to live in community. Community is not just going to a group. You follow up with people. Check in. How y'all doing? How's it going? How's it going? You can't do it with everybody. Find two or three people that, if two or three are gathered, pick two or three. You checking in with, so it's just stuff like that. Just takes thought. I just think we're too lone ranger. We're just not mature enough, and we're too afraid. We're just too afraid. We're cowardice. We don't want to bring up the stuff because we don't want to offend people. Like if you if you live like that, then wh- where does that end? Like it's one thing for you to be offensive. It's another thing for someone to be offended. You can be offended at somebody whispering to you. That could be the other person, and it's just like, hey, look. You ask the questions like that, man, i was like, hey, can I, why are you offended? Did I, did I say something in a way that offended you? Like, what did I learn from that? Oftentimes, it's like we're just afraid of what will happen if we're transparent. And so we don't like it. So it feels like an attack. Or we've been betrayed by somebody else, and now we're imposing that on everyone else. So I ain't trusting nobody because I remember I shared this with a person, and they shared all this. Man, you can't live like that. You can't live like that.
1: More to come. Thank you,
2: sir. Now this is the last question. Um, in awareness with uh, what time does
0: the game start? Three.
2: Um, four. Okay. That joint was at three today, right? Is at three today. Three. Okay, we got time. We want all right, more. Nah, uh, let's not. Nah. More, baby. May the Lord watch between me and the no. Um, all right. So, um, last question though uh, that we have is um, in awareness of DDT, mm-hmm. um, what encouragement uh, and our own need for it. Um, What encouragement can you give to those who want to have patience instead of anxiety for repentance in the life of those who are very close to us, possibly even family, even spouse, who have betrayed or sinned against us very grievously? Mm. If that person is here, please come up and talk to me. If you're not
0: here and you're a member, send me a text so we can do a phone conversation. That's a very deep question. And it's a very personal question. It's not really a group question. Um, I'll just say this in a general sense, because, again, that's a very specific, deep question. And there are layers to, I don't know what a person means where they've been betrayed by people. So you have to kind of get specifics to know what you're dealing with. Um, but I would say, in a general sense, in terms of the DDT and, and having... Um, hoping that, I would just say this, if you're a Christian, like, look at your life now, where you're at right now, wherever that is, right? And you think about, you've been a Christian 3, 5, 10, 20, 30 years, right? Let's just do a little math. So, James says, if you sin one time, you've broken all the commandments, right? So, every one sin is 10 sins to God because you've broken the whole thing. You've broken all 10 commandments. So let's just say you sin one time a day, right? That's 10 times in a day, right? You multiply that by how many days in a year? 365, right? So now you've got 3,650 sins that you've committed in a year. 3,650 sins you've committed in a year. Now multiply that by how old you are. You're in the hundreds of thousands of sins that you've committed against God. And he still blessed you and done things for you up to this point. You may not have everything that you want, but the Lord has blessed you, has answered prayer. He's done all of that. And you and I are in the hundreds of thousands of sins against the Lord if we just count one sin a day, meaning 10. So if every sin is 10, then you and I sin, we're in the bazillions. Because none of us just sin once a day. And the Lord has blessed you. Has kept you you've grown you you desire him still you're affected by him to tears you you've gotten rewarded by him all of that despite that if that is not enough to prove to you that God is with you and that he's patient with the process of your growth i don't know what else is he is so patient and loving to us and we just don't think about it so when, you, when you're worried about this, think about what God has already done in your life. Let me tell you why I'm saying this. In the Old Testament, this was the paradigm. God would send a prophet, and they would start off by saying this. Thus says the Lord, I, the Lord your God, who brought your fathers out of Egypt, right? Let me re- make sure you remember, I've already proven that I'm faithful to you. I've already proven that. Let me show you remember that before you remember God's faithfulness to you already. And let that be the reason why you continue to be faithful now. That's what I would say for that. The other side of that, the deep betrayal, come talk to me. That's different. That's a different question. All right? All right. Grab your communion cups if you have them. If you don't, you are wilding right now because we've been doing this for like 40 minutes. No questions. Turn that shame into a shield next time. For, so next week you have it. Let's remember the future by remembering the past. Father, we thank you for just your sending Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. What a wonderful blessing that is. And as I just said, Lord, as you let me to communicate, you have been faithful to us despite the innumerable, only you know how many sins we've actually committed against you. And yet you still have, a, even the person who asked that question, the fact that they asked that question is proof of the spirit in them and wanting to apply and grow. That's evidence of your saving that individual because they're concerned and want to grow. They want to glorify you. You're with us despite how many sins we've committed against you. Innumerable. We're worried about this and that. Like we don't have millions of other times that we could stand before you even if we didn't do that one thing. And that's only possible Because Jesus never sinned against you. He became a human being and he obeyed you perfectly. He learned obedience by suffering, resisting. The strong, the tempter himself. And then he died on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserve for the innumerable amount of sins that we've committed. Him who committed no sin takes our punishment. There's no one to date that we know of that has received the full wrath of you. He is the only one that experienced the full wrath of you. Noah in the flood, they didn't, because eight people were spared. Jesus received the full, he's the only one who receives the full wrath of you. And then he dies and you bring him back to life so that we can believe that he is the forgiveness of our sins. And when we believe in him, you say, I'm going to treat you as if you're like him. Lord, that your body that was broken for us is what we remember the past. And it compels us to
1: remember the future. And we will see you again. We eat this together in your memory.
0: And Lord, this cup, this juice represents the blood that you shed in the past that compels us. To remember the future. The day that you will return. We drink this for your glory. And Lord as we leave here. A lot was said today. Simplify this for them. Simplify this. If they just remember DDT. Desire, distance, and time. May that be it. Remind them to wake from their sleep. All of us.
1: Help us. To cast off, not cast out. To reject
0: orgies and drunkenness, sensuality and sexuality, jealousy and quarreling. Remind us to make no provision for the flesh. To, have a, to not understand how maturity works. Or to only be reactive instead of proactive. Lord, remind us of something, anything that was true, that we can apply it for your glory and our good. We thank you, Lord. You have forgiven us for sins that we don't even think about. So let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Because you've already forgiven us and you've blessed us already. In countless ways, despite all that sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence we can find mercy and grace to help us in our time. of need. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, next, beginning in February, there will be in our core groups a new quadrant begins from February to July. Some of you are in groups now that will continue. Some of you that are starting new groups. Next week, I'm going to tell you what the new groups are so that you can begin signing up. There's some new groups I'm excited about. I think you all will enjoy. So be on the lookout for that. Also, lastly, if you are administrative, administrative, if you are administrative, can I see you for just a few minutes over here inside of me? Everyone else, if you're administrative, please come. Don't say, well, I can spell it. I don't want this. Only if you're administrative, all right? I can see you right here for just a few minutes. The rest of you, love you, thank you. Go with
1: God and watch the games.